Hosea chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. Hosea 2, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea. Hosea 2, verses 19 and 20. I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we, we delight in you this morning, God. With all creation, we worship you, Lord. You're seated in the highest place, Lord, now in heaven, and yet your presence is here in our midst where two or three are gathered. And Lord, today we're asking you to anoint the preaching of your word, that it would go forth in power and in might, not in the wisdom of man, but in the wisdom of God, and that it would bear fruit for your glory, God. Help me to be led by your spirit as that sail in the wind, to be sensitive to you and be led by you. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. First of all, just want to say how blessed I am and how blessed we are as a church to be able to have elders that can come up and preach the Word of God like Ken and Ryan did in the last two weeks. Great, great. I appreciate my brothers. Thank you. It is a blessing to the body. Amen? You know, especially with Daniel, you read through Daniel and you get all jacked up, don't you? You know, you read Daniel and you go, man. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, those boys were something else. They stand up against, you know, the whole world. I'm going to be like them, right? And then, uh, you know, you read about Daniel, and he's not going to back down. He said, don't pray, and he says, I'm going to go pray. And he prays, and he walks into the lion's den. Whatever happens, happens, and you go, yeah. That's the way it is. You know, you read Daniel, and you just see these guys that were standing for God, and they were doing great and mighty things, and you get all excited, and you're going to do those same things for God. They were so faithful. I'm going to be faithful, God. And then your neighbor gives you an opportunity to share the gospel, and you walk away. And, you know, you made all these promises when you first became a Christian. God, I'll get in your word every day for like three hours a day, right? And you make all these promises, and all of a sudden, you know, it gets busy. And you realize, you get to that place where you say, you know, I'm not faithful like Daniel seemed to be. You know, he had his, his uh, times as well, but we just see what's recorded in the Word of God. And you, that's why I'm so grateful for the book of Hosea, following right after Daniel. Because when we look at that, we see ourselves probably more in the book of Hosea than we do in Daniel many times. And what we're going to find in this book, and the main point is this, that the Lord is faithful even when His covenant people are unfaithful. God is faithful. Well, in the Hebrew Bible, uh, the minor prophets is what it's called, combined into one book, Okay? It was called the Twelve. And 
Hosea is the beginning of the books that are classified as minor prophets. Minor in only the sense that they're much shorter than the other what we call major prophets. Isaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Jeremiah. Um, so they're shorter, but they're not less important. So just so you know, now we're done with the majors, we're beginning with the minor prophets, but they're just as important. They're not arranged in chronological order. Um, we don't know why. We really don't understand for certain how the order in the Bible or the canon is there. It's just the way it is. We don't know why they put it together that way, but it is that way. And as I said, Hosea is the first of the minor prophets, and he's the only prophet from the northern kingdom, from Israel. Remember we learned a while back that the, the nation of Israel split, split into two. There was a northern kingdom, Israel, and the southern kingdom, Judah. Well, uh, Hosea was the, the only prophet from the northern kingdom that left any kind of written prophecies. So there probably were others, but we don't know of them. We just know of Hosea. And what happened was is he was urging the north, the northern kingdom to repent in the final days before it fell to Assyria in 722 B.C. As a matter of fact, the word repent is in almost every chapter of Hosea, all 14 chapters. And what Israel had been doing is this. We're going to call, uh, the term is called synchronism, which is, uh, or syncretism, which is they were intermingling the worship of the Lord with the worship of Baal. They were kind of picking and choosing what they wanted to do. Well, I'll add a little bit of this, and I'll take this away, and I'll add this part to this. And so they tried to mix these, the, these two types of worship together into one. And that was obviously offensive to God, uh, that they would mix, intermingle this worship. And eventually what occurred was that they forsook their God for idols, so it was just a matter of time. Okay, we're going to mix these two up. And yeah, well, we're going, to, we're going to throw a little pagan worship in the middle of this service. And then we're slowly going to get it to where we want it. And then before you know it, they're worshiping idols. And they're, they're uh, just completely distant from God. So that's why the Lord was bringing judgment on Israel through the Assyrians. We know more about Hosea's life than probably any other minor prophet. And the reason we do is because his life was intended to be an object lesson. We find over and over in Scripture, we're not going to go into a lot of detail today, but many times there were names given to children or names given to, names were changed in order to display what God was doing. Okay? And so what we have is that that's exactly what was happening in Hosea. There were things that were happening not only in the picture of his marriage, but in his life, but also in the names of his children. So this is consistent with God's word. It's just a little clearer maybe in a, in a book like Hosea. And what we find is that uh, when, we, when we look at Hosea, we need to understand that Hosea, even though it describes a lot of his life, especially in the first few chapters, it's really not about Hosea. It's, that's not the point of the book of Hosea. Hosea is really about God and his relationship with his covenant people. That's what it's about. Take a look at God's word. There's a general outline of Hosea. Chapters 1 through 3 is about an adulterous wife, Gomer, and a faithful husband, Hosea. How many people want to name their daughter Gomer? Right? You read that. Grace for Gomer's, and if you're old enough, you think, 
Gomer Pyle, right? <laughs> okay, that's what we think about. So you think, well, that was an offensive title. There's a reason why it was offensive, and I'll get to that. But anyway, chapter 1, Hosea's marriage to Gomer. Uh, chapter 2, Gomer's adultery. Chapter 3, Gomer's restoration by Hosea. Then we find in chapters 14 through, or 4 through 14, God, God's adulterous people, Israel. And in 4 through 5, adultery and idolatry of Israel. Chapters 6 through 8, Israel's refusal to repent. Chapters 9 through 10, Israel's judged by God. And verses, or chapters 11 through 14, Israel's restoration by her loving and faithful Lord. And I took the last verse of Hosea because it explains it. It says, hey, don't miss this. Look at this. Hosea chapter 14, verse 9. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Let him understand this book of Hosea. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the upright walk in them. But transgressors stumble in them. He's saying, learn the lesson of Hosea. It's more than just a record of a guy's life. It's about us. And that's what we desire to do today, is to learn the lesson that we find in Hosea. Um, First of all, God did something that seems kind of crazy. God instructed Hosea to go marry a prostitute. Take a look at God's word. Hosea chapter 1, 2 through 3, 6, 8 through 9, and then 2.23. In verse 2, the Lord said to Hosea, Go take for yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom. For the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. You can see the parallel there, very in second verse, saying this is what it's about. Your life is going to be about Israel and what Israel is doing to me. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Dibliam, and she conceived and bore him a son. She conceived again and bore him a daughter. And the Lord said to him, Call her name No Mercy, for I will no more have mercy on the house of Israel. So he gave her a name, No Mercy. His first son's name was Jezreel, and we know the meaning behind that as well. But you do your own study on that. Then in verse 8, When she had weaned No Mercy, she conceived and bore a son. And the Lord said, Call his name not my people, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. So there you could see that there was purpose behind it. God spoke to Hosea. Here's your three children. I want you to name them this, this, and this. And this is the meaning of those names. And then Hosea 2.23. I will sow for myself in the land. I will sow her for myself in the land. Talking about Israel. And I will have, no, I will have mercy on no mercy. He just said, okay, you're going to use this name of your daughter, no mercy, to describe what's going to, what, I, what I'm going to do. In other words, judgment's coming. I'm not going to have mercy. Judgment's coming because I love you. And now he's saying, you know what? I'm going to have mercy on no mercy on the nation of Israel. I'm going to have mercy on her. And it goes on. And I will say to not my people, because they had abandoned God. They had left him. He said, you're not my people. And I will say to not my people, you are my people. And he shall say, and you are my God. Read these first three chapters about how they were worshiping. And you you say that I am your Baal and I am your your Lord. They're mixing it up. You can see this uh, uh, 
syncretism in the words that are in Hosea. And so you can see the situation that is set up. Now, the thing that the scholars don't really know for sure, and you say, well, it should be obvious in the Word of God, it's not because of the way it's written in Hebrew. It's a very unique language. And so we're really not sure whether Gomer was a prostitute either before or after she married Hosea. We're not really sure. Uh, I have a tendency to believe she became one after, but um, I can see the argument on the other side. So we're really not sure. But here's the point. You get so caught up in these little details sometimes that you don't see the bigger point. And the bigger point is this, that either way, Hosea knew in advance that Gomer would be an unfaithful wife. Yet, he gave her his name and all that he possessed. Do you see the gospel there? Do you see yourself there? I think one of the most amazing things to me about the greatness of God is this, is that God knew ahead all our unfaithfulness, yet he still chose us as his children. Isn't that incredible? He knew you were going to be unfaithful. He knew you weren't going to follow through with all the commitments you made. He knew you were going to struggle with sin. He knew that all in advance. He knew you were going to run to other idols for satisfaction. He knew that. And yet he chose you. What a beautiful picture of the gospel right here. God knew in advance because he is what? Omniscient. He knows all things. And he chose you from the foundations of the world knowing exactly how you would respond after you came to know Jesus that you would still struggle in areas of your life. You would still put other things before him. You wouldn't follow through with your marriage vows, as the Word of God says. That is an amazing thing for me. It, it, it just absolutely humbles me to think of that. And that's what we see here in this book of Hosea. God said, you take her as your wife. You know she's going to be unfaithful. You take her as your wife. This is an example, not only to Israel, but to us. Well, what happens then? Gomer eventually runs away from him, leaves him. She leaves this man, Hosea, with two little sons and a daughter. She abandons them. And then she goes and she falls into immorality. She moves in with her lover. And eventually what occurs is that she is being put up for sale in the slave market. That's where sin leads us, to bondage, to slavery. She walks away from her husband for another man, for prostitution, all of the above. Can you imagine how hard that must have been for Hosea to know that in advance and then be walking in it, wondering, will she ever love me? Will she ever care for me? You know, it's... it's so easy for us to default to relating to Hosea as us. I've been hurt bad, Dan, by someone. And you know what? I believe that. We default to thinking that, oh, yeah, it's Hosea who we are. You know, how many times have I been hurt in my life? You see, the, the problem is, is that we're not Hosea in this story. 
we're Gomer. We're Gomer. And that's kind of offensive to us in our flesh, isn't it? That's why I said this title is really kind of offensive when you get to know it. Grace for Gomers, because we're Gomer. We're the ones who are unfaithful. You see, sin is spiritual adultery. Sin is spiritual adultery. We fail to live up to our vows and we run after other lovers, other things to satisfy us. God becomes secondary, third, not even in our thoughts. And other things become what we pursue, what we delight in, what we love. And God takes a back seat, if that much. We get caught up in the world, we get caught up in sin, and we add God every now and then. You see, we're Gomer. We're Gomer. We struggle with this sin, which is spirit, spiritual adultery, finding our love in something else, finding our delight in someone other than our Savior, other than our husband, as the Word of God says, the church is the bride of Christ. It's so easy to do that. We get caught up in our uh, chasing after our, our visions and our dreams and our 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 goals so much to the extent that God is forgotten. And we think our satisfaction and our delight will be in someone or something else. Boom. We're Gomer. This is a graphic, shocking, and very humbling picture of our sin. And, and, it's this amazing picture of our grace-filled, unconditionally loving, utterly faithful Savior, friend, husband, Jesus. Because what does God do? The whole intent is that this life of, of Hosea's is going to be a picture of God and his relationship with his covenant people. So he says this to Hosea, I want you to go find her. She left you. She's with another guy. She's on the slave block right now. I want you to go find her. I want you to pursue her in love. Think about how hard that would be. Your spouse being unfaithful to you and God says, I want you to pursue her, Hosea. And I want you to bring, get her back whatever the cost is. You pay whatever cost it is, Hosea. You go and you pay the cost, and you love her. You don't just live a distance away from her. I'll do what you say, God, but I'm only going to go buy her back, and then she's going to live on that side of the house, and I'm going to live on this side of the house, and we're going to be forever separated in that sense. We'll live under the roof. It'll look good to everybody else outside. He said, no, and I want you to go. I want you to find her. I want you to redeem her, buy her back, which is redeem is the, buy, the price to purchase a slave, and I want you to love her. Love her. So that's what Hosea does. Take a look at God's word. Hosea 3, 1 through 3. The Lord said to me, go again. 
Love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to their other gods and love cakes of raisin. Again, the children of Israel would be believers today. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a whatever that is of barley. So he had cash and barley because he didn't have enough cash. He paid probably for everything, every, all the cash he had, he paid. And then he had to barter the rest of the cost. He gave everything, everything he had to purchase her back, his wife who was unfaithful. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man, so will I also be to you. I'm not going to be unfaithful to you. He said, now you go. And if you, th- what this reminds me of, remember when Jesus was at the well, and uh, he's talking to the woman and, and, and who had fallen in sin, and he said, now go and sin no more, after he had healed her. That's what this reminds me of. Now go, you're going to be my wife, but don't sin anymore. <laughs> Repent. Then in Hosea 2, 19 through 20, I will betroth, this is our verses for today. I will betroth you to me forever. This is God speaking to you. I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. That word know is the same Hebrew word for Adam knew Eve. It's an intimate relationship. It's the same word, base word, when we go to the fact that, and Joseph knew Mary, and she conceived. So we see this word coming up. It's an intimacy, and you will know your God. It's talking about the sweet relationship that we will have with the Lord. And then in Hosea 11:4, I led them with cords of kindness, with bands of love, And I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws. And I bent down to them and fed them. That's our Lord. That's our Lord. You see this beautiful picture of grace here? This is incredible, this book. This is unmerited favor in spite of deserved judgment. That's us. Just a beautiful picture of the grace of God. Isn't that the gospel? I mean, here's the gospel in the middle of this book that you don't think has anything to do with the gospel or Jesus. Here is the gospel at its core, all the essential elements. We see that Jesus paid the price for our redemption. We were slaves, we were bondage, in bondage to sin, separated from God. Jesus comes and he pays the price on the cross for us, the price of redemption. He would pay the price for all our sins that God could, would impute our sin upon him and he would pay for it. And Christ's righteousness would be imputed to us. And it says here, and I will, and I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice. In justice, why? Our sins were paid for. Beautiful picture of the cross. And Jesus goes and and dies on the cross for our sin. Three days later is raised from the dead as a stamp of the Lord approving of the sacrifice that Christ made for all who would believe. And then if we, by God's grace alone, through faith alone and Christ alone, receive that gift of salvation, 
We're adopted into the family. We're children of God. We become part of the bride of Christ, the church. And He is our husband. You see the tie-in on all this? It's beautiful. It's absolutely incredible. Christ paid the price for our redemption to take His bride out of bondage and to restore her to a place of honor and faithfulness. He gave us what? Just like Hosea did. He gave us His name, Christians. He gave us all his possessions, as it says, that the the riches in Christ are unbelievable. That's what Christ has done for us. This is a great and glorious picture. Take a look. Again, God's word. Romans 5.8. God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And in 1 John 4.9, we love because he first loved us. Isn't that a picture of the gospel? Isn't that, don't we see that in Hosea? He loved because, we love because he first loved us. You see, a Hosea is a picture of the depth of God's unwavering, unconditional love for his wavering, wayward people. Us. You know Why? Because the Lord is faithful even when his covenant people are not. That's the point. It's about God. You know why the Lord is faithful? Even when his covenant people, even when we struggle with sin, even when we choose other lovers to satisfy our our desires in our lives. And what I mean by that is things, stuff, whatever it might be, acclaim, reputation, money, You name it. How can that be? Because of this. Because of the new covenant. I kept using that word over and over again. We have a marriage covenant. When you got married, you entered into covenant with your spouse. And we see this this thing in the word of God. There's the old covenant, the law. And then there's this new covenant. The new covenant that God talks about throughout the Old Testament that it's coming. That was inaugurated with Christ's death on the cross. When Jesus said, he handed the disciples that cup and he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. You see, the reason God is faithful, even when his covenant people are not faithful, like you and me, when we fail to fulfill our vows, is not because of us, it's because of God. Not because God sees such great things in us, it's because of the new covenant and the fact that the new covenant is based Its foundation is in God's character. It's in God's commitment to us. The new covenant is a one-way deal. It's a one-way love, just like Hosea here. The new covenant is a promise from God that he will be faithful even when we're unfaithful, that he will continue to love us, that he will continue to pursue us. He will woo us back to himself. He will love us. The new covenant's foundation is God's character and commitment, not our performance. So that when we do respond, it's in love, not in duty. Oh, he's my God. He's my master. That's true. But we we don't respond as a slave. We respond as a wife to a husband. It's this beautiful picture of the new covenant. Take a look. The new covenant is even mentioned here. Take a look at this. Hosea 1, 9 through 10. I'll continue on. 
Call his name not my people, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. That sounds pretty harsh, right? But look, even in the midst of God proclaiming judgment coming, you see the grace and mercy of God in the very next verse. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, it shall be said to them, children of the living God. I'm going to bring judgment because I love you, discipline because I love you, but I haven't abandoned you. I'll let you suffer the consequences of your sin, but I have not abandoned you. I love you. You are my people. You will always be my people. I made a forever covenant with you. Look at the parallel here. Genesis 22, 16 through 18. This is after Abraham was going to sacrifice his son, Isaac, and, he, and God said, whoa, stop. Look at this. By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and surely multiply your offspring as the stars in the heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. See the parallel there? And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring, the promise of Christ, in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. This was a reiteration of the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis chapter 12, restated here. In Genesis 12, it just talked about the stars in the heaven. Here he added the sands of the sea. And then you look at the parallel up there in Hosea, and you go, our God is great. Every detail of his word is relevant for us today. He shows us again that he has made a promise and he will fulfill that promise because it is based on who God is, not our performance. And we need to hear that because we live in the book of Hosea more than we do the book of Daniel many times, right? I know I do. God is so good. He would love us to that level. When you put yourself in this book of Hosea and you see yourself in so many ways in Gomer, and then you see yourself, or you see our great God in Hosea. You know, the evidence that you understand the greatness of the forgiveness and the reconciliation that you received from God is in your forgiveness and reconciliation with others who have caused you pain in the past. How can I say that? Because God's word says it. This is my main point of application. Take a look at this. Ephesians 4.32 Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgive tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Wow. Forgive others as God in Christ forgave you. And then in Colossians 3, 12 through 13, put on then in God's, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, Forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, 
so you also, look at that, must forgive. These are commands. These are commands to forgive. Based on the understanding of the forgiveness that you have received from God. And I think one of the best pictures, practical pictures of that, is the book of Hosea. Now, I don't know if you have had an unfaithful spouse. I don't know. I, I can't imagine that hurt. Yeah, I, I, I can't, and I hope I never do, and I won't. My wife loves me, and that's not going to happen. But maybe that's what you suffered through. Maybe it's just, uh, it's some other pain because um, although that is a great pain, it's not the only one. And you know yours. You know the hurt that's in your heart. The hurt that someone caused you that you're having a hard time forgiving. You say you do, but you keep dragging it up back up. You know, maybe it's, uh, maybe it's something else your spouse has done. You know, just because they weren't unfaithful physically, they might be unfaithful in their hearts, and you just feel distant. You know, I talked about it earlier. You're living on this side of the house. I'm living on this side of the house. It'll look good to everyone, but guess what? We're still distant from each other. Maybe it's between you and your children, you know. You say, well, that can never happen. I've got a young family. I can't imagine that anything would get between me and my kids. It's amazing. You know, maybe it's bitterness towards your kids or Bitterness towards your parents because they did something the wrong way or they didn't do something or whatever it might be. And there's bitterness there. There's unforgiveness there in your very own family. Maybe it's your brothers or sisters. I know people that have not talked to their brother or sister in over 30 years. 30 years! Why? Bitterness, hard heart. It's their fault, not my fault. Oh, I, and then you usually hear this. Well, you need to forgive them. Oh, I've forgiven them. Really? You haven't talked to them in 30 years. You haven't forgiven them. You haven't forgiven them. All right, just call it what it is. I don't know what your hurt is. You, you know. You, you, maybe when I said, you know, there's this person or these people that you can't forgive. You keep dragging it back up. I struggle with this. I got to keep taking my thoughts captive and saying, no, Lord. And it's easy for me to distance from those people that have hurt me and not want to even talk to them, to be honest with you. But I can't do that because the scripture, the gospel is in my face. And it says, Dan, you must forgive as you have been forgiven. Then we go to the Lord's Prayer. Lord, forgive me my sin as I have forgiven others. Really? Do we want that? Because this is what it says. So this is this command to forgive. And brothers and sisters, we need to be like the Lord, committed to pursuing reconciliation and restoration in broken relationships. We need to do that. Take a look again. We see that when we look at this word of God, we see that the first step, and this is a hard one, I'm going to tell you, practical application here, the first step towards reconciliation usually comes from the injured person, not the one who hurt them. God made provision for our forgiveness before we repented. 
Jesus died on the cross before you ever repented? What did God tell Hosea to do? You pursue Gomer. She didn't come to him all weeping one day and fall at, the, at his feet and say, I'm so sorry for what you did or for what I did. God said, you go to her. You take the first step, Hosea. And that's what God has done for us. He provided a way, even before we repented. And when God did that, forgiveness is not conditional. Well, if they just pay me back because they robbed me of all this money, or they did this, and if they do that, then I'll forgive them. That's not forgiveness. Forgiveness is not based on works. It's based on grace. And the reason I say that is because that's what God's forgiveness towards us is based on, his grace, his mercy, his kindness. Forgiveness is not conditional. And what we see is that there is liberating joy that when we understand that God has forgiven us and the depth that he has, it empowers us to forgive others of whatever they've done to us. And I think this picture here in Hosea is one of the most vicious hurts that can happen. And even there, he says, you know what? Here's what you do. You go to her. You extend forgiveness to her. So my challenge for us this morning is this. Ask the Lord to help you see the size of your debt to the Lord. To see the depth of the Lord's love. And the wonder of his great forgiveness towards you because of the cross. Think about that first. It says in Ephesians chapter 3, 18 through 19, it says that we might grasp the width and the length and the height and the depth of the love of Christ. That's our prayer. That's, that's where I want us, uh, us all to start. You know, just as I said, we've got this picture in our mind of people that have hurt us and maybe you're holding on to that. And you go, where do I start? You start by asking God to show you the incredible depth of his love towards you. The incredible forgiveness that he's extended towards you and he continues to extend towards you. Choosing you, knowing you would be unfaithful. And constantly extending that and pursuing you in love and not letting up. And saying, I forgive you. Come back. I forgive you. Repent. So start there. And then ask the Holy Spirit to empower you to be Christ-like. To forgive others who have hurt you. Whoever that person might be. Persons might be. And I say that because of this. Because forgiveness opens the door to reconciliation and hopefully repentance on all parties. But here's the main reason. We always say in this church, you do it all for the glory of God. Right? We want to do everything for the glory of God. John Piper, famous, drink orange juice to the glory of God. Well, how do you do that? Anyway, you don't want to know how you can glorify God today? Forgive those who have hurt you. Because that's Christ-like. And when we can forgive, we glorify God. And that's the parallel. That's the beauty of the gospel 
that is revealed in the book of Hosea. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we stand in awe of your, your word, how things that just seem disjointed and distracted and not related to us, we see in the midst of this book, God, that seems so strange, so alien to us, Lord, the beauty of the gospel, and we see ourselves in it, Lord. And we see how you pursue us constantly, paying the price for our salvation and continuing to chase us when, we, when our hearts are caught up in other things. Lord, would you bring an understanding to each of us, Lord, of the, the width and the length and the height and the depth of the love of that the love we have in Christ, Lord, do that. Help us to understand our debt that is so great to you, Lord, that no one, no one else's debt to us could be even close to that. Bring a repentance in our hearts for the unforgiveness. Lord, work in the person's heart who has hurt us. God, turn their hearts towards you. And God, be glorified in it all. Amen. Let's stand.